The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I have with me Parjath Deshpande, and um, she is a leading high-risk pregnancy specialist and a somatic trauma professional and speaker. She's also an author who guides women to improve their birth pregnancy, their pregnancy complications, uh, sorry, improve their pregnancies so their complications can be reduced and that they can not be at risk for preterm birth. Her unique neurobiological, I love those words nerdy mm-hmm. words, approach has served several hundreds wi- of women to manage pregnancy complications and reclaim safety and trust of their bodies. And basically what they thought had eroded forever, that, that trust. She's also the author of a best-selling book called Pregnancy Brain, a mind-body approach to stress management during a high-risk pregnancy. And she's also host of a popular podcast called Delivering Miracles that discovers, discusses the real raw side of family building, including infertility, loss, high-risk pregnancy, bed rest, prematurity, and healing once the baby comes. And I'm going to link her website at... Um, at under this episode, just, just check the link so you can check out more. Um, she's also on Instagram at healthy.highriskpregnancy. Okay. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to nerd out because um, so many times when we talk about stress or trauma surrounding birth, pregnancy loss, hard, hard things, um, people just tend to chalk it up to, well, you know, just buck up camper or, you know, just get some freezer meals in your freezer, um, sleep in the baby sleeps. But I am convinced that there's like permanent structural changes that happen to your brain when you're in trauma, right? Yes. It's not necessarily permanent, um, but they can be chronic and can be permanent if we chronic. don't Chronic. There we them. go. I like, so, yes. yeah. So they're permanent if you don't do anything around them. Mm-hmm. And so use the word somatic. So what is somatic um, trauma mean? Yeah. So my approach, uh, is body-based. So somatic just means body-based. And what that means is it's completely different than the pop culture, pop psychology, and even the old kind of training that we had in clinical psychology of it, of trauma being a mental health issue, where if we can think differently, if we can change our thoughts, if we can, um, you know, approach it from a head-based perspective, then we can master it. That's kind of the the thought that used to be there. Well, that's still very common. I mean, very common still. It's very pervasive because the research that's coming out now is still quite new. And so it takes so long to have it be translated into practice. But what we now know is that trauma is not a mental health issue. Uh, It can present with symptoms that can show up as what we consider mental health. Mm -hmm. But uh, what trauma really is, is your nervous system, which is the only body system that touches all other body systems, frozen in a state of fight, flight, or freeze. And it is like frozen there. And until we can release that and thaw that out and restore that health in the nervous system, it doesn't matter what we do to the thoughts that not, like those, those, um, efforts, those, uh, the interventions that we will try, they either won't work or they won't stick. And that's what we just, we keep seeing over and over and over. And so the somatic body-based approach is all about restoring health to the nervous system, taking it out of that frozen state into a state of flexibility, which is where it's meant to be. That makes a lot of sense, but I feel like it's going to take, how many generations do you think it'll take to change the thought process around it? Because I mean, I'm super enlightened and I still find myself falling into the trap of thinking, well, if you would only think positive health or thoughts, or if you would, you know, just, you know, take care of your needs better then maybe you'd feel better. And it's, but I, I know from personal trauma, it doesn't work that way that you get like stuck in a loop and your head just spins back and forth. Mm -hmm. So then you bring the pregnancy hormones on top of it and all of the social pressures of becoming a mother and why do you do what you do? I mean, you find this fun? <laughs> I do, actually. It just lights me up every day. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like I got under the, the bed and found this big ball of yarn that my kids are playing with. And I'm like, oh, no, never mind. Just throw it all away. Like, how do you even start to untangle this? Yeah. So, 
So a woman yeah. comes to you and she's, she's had this trauma, she's broken, she feels like she just can't. So what is your first, how do you start breaking these patterns? Yeah. So it's, again, it's very body-based. And so our first step is getting her out of her head and into her body, um, which is, it, it's so interesting. Every single client that comes through, I start teaching them how to do that. And after a day or two, they're like, this is hard. I don't think I'm doing I know it right. Say, what if you don't want to be out of, <laughs> like, what if you're too scared to get into your body? Yeah, most of them are because when we experience trauma like that, especially reproductive trauma, um, that is so oftentimes so closely tied to our identity uh, as either a woman, a mother, a person on this planet, whatever that identity mm -hmm. might be that you'll resonate with. Uh, one of the protective mechanisms is you become disconnected from your body. And so it can be very scary to go back into your body. And so we have to do it very slowly. We have to titrate that experience. And that's why I work so closely with my clients. I don't give them an exercise and say, go do it. I'll talk to you next week. It's yeah, go say, do it and tell me five minutes from now how you're doing or I know I'll watch working, you do it. Yeah, exactly. I know sometimes working through trauma in my head, I would get it. And then my body would like start yep. stopping. I'm like, just a minute. Yep. My body's doing something. Let it finish. It was almost like as two separate beings. And then I was, exactly. and then of course I felt more crazy, but, <laughs> but yeah. really it's like my body was like a, a, a two-year-old that had, you had just told no to. Yeah. But I want to hold on to that, you know? So yeah, you say you don't, exactly. you don't make your clients do that by themselves. No, no. I, especially when you are in the middle of say fertility treatment or when you are pregnant, uh, you can't, it's not, it's just doesn't make sense to do it that way. Uh, so I, this is oftentimes why I say my, my pregnant clients, the ones who are trying to conceive or who are currently pregnant, we're going to do this work every step step of the way together you're not going to be doing this alone you know of course they're going to go off and do it and then they're going to tell me how it goes because their bodies are always telling us okay that went too far this didn't go far enough we're kind of in a different direction than i thought there's always there's your body has a language and it sounds super woo to say that but um, think of it like when your stomach grumbles, you know that that means you're hungry. How do you know that? Well, as children, we were given the language uh, first when we started maybe acting out or having a tantrum or getting cranky or something. And slowly our caretakers would provide that language to say, oh, you must be hungry. Here's some food. And we started then associating that body sensation of stomach grumbling with I'm hungry. And that's exactly what we are relearning after experiencing whoa, reproductive whoa, trauma. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. So you're saying though, that if the person giving you words when you're exp experiencing bodily things when you were a child was giving you unhealthy words mm -hmm. or unhealthy assumptions mm -hmm. about your body that you then could have imprinted moment of silence. <laughs> so in, <laughs> wow. So this can even come back from even as a child, these yep. markers, these these changes yep. in your, in your headspace. So yep. you can't just like, oh, well, you had a traumatic boyfriend in high school or, oh, I'm sorry, your college was really hard. These, these can go back further, mm -hmm. not being able to connect with your body. And yep. like you said, so if your caretaker wasn't helping you put words to it, then you never had words. You may not have, you may not have. That's entirely possible. And so it is possible that at this point in your adulthood, it's the first time you're learning it. And so that again, loops back to, it is so important to do this based on your body and to go extremely slowly. Extremely, like what, how slowly? It, as slowly as your body needs you to go, which is, I realize a very vague answer, but the, you know, the pace at which my body may be able to process some of this or um, do this work may be different than yours. And mm -hmm. that's because of a variety of factors. And we are different people uh, with different journeys and at different points in our life right now. Yeah. And so we have to be able to listen to that cue. And so that's kind of where I step in. Um, I had a client just recently tell me, uh, she called me the body translator that I get at oh, the beginning. I, like <laughs> I you know I love that too. I said, wow, I'm totally using that. Um, because at, at the beginning, while she doesn't know what's happening, I can see what's happening and I can provide those words. And that's oh, how. Oh, and that goes faster. 
because mm-hmm. doing this by yourself is really difficult. I know like lots of therapy and I, I'm really pretty even killed, but I know a couple of weeks ago I had a friend say something that was very hurtful and she didn't mean to hurt me. It was just that what mm-hmm. she hurt, what she said brought up this thing. And I felt this like big well up in my body and I started crying and she's like, are you okay? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm like, I just, I'm not okay right now. I'm not okay. And I just like cried. And after like four minutes, she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's not your fault. Just there's stuff there. After four minutes, I felt my body just sigh. And I was like, wow, I'm okay now. Cause I felt seen. Mm-hmm. I felt, and it was so, but I hadn't had an experience like that outside of therapy where I guess I could feel my body being done. Is that mm-hmm. what it feels like to be done then? Like it processed something. Yeah. Cause yeah. intellectually it, I had already processed the pain, but when she right. brought it up, my body had like a visceral reaction. Exactly. Because we have two kinds of memories. We've got the mental memories and then we've got the body memories both of which need to be tied to our emotions. And in the case Whoa. of trauma, they're often separated. So we've, we've got the, uh, the mental kind of imagery of what happened separate from the emotion of that experience. And then we've got the body sensations that happened separate from the emotional experience. Oh my gosh. So that's why sometimes when you're triggered or something happens, you don't know why you feel what exactly. you feel. Exactly. Ah, exactly. You're, you're, it's like your body your body remembered something differently than your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Usually. And, and like we talked about at the beginning, there's so much emphasis on doing the mental work that we completely forget everything kind of from the chin down (laughs) and there's so much still there. And so exactly like the experience you described for a lot of my clients, it can show up when they go back to the fertility clinic, when they start doing shots again, when they're pregnant again, even something as, as quote unquote simple as round ligament pain, which is very common in even yeah. low risk healthy pregnancies. <gasps> yeah, but it that was sensation mm-hmm. itself just goes, and the whole body just seizes up. And there's a whole layer of memory there that we have to wow. address in order to help her feel safe and comfortable to be pregnant. Because until we do that, her pregnancy is going to be filled with fear the entire way through, through labor, through delivery, and then even afterwards because it doesn't disappear. And it compounds either. No, no. And it compounds. Okay. So what you're saying, sorry, I just, I love this so much. Okay. So, (laughs) so you like, sometimes in our heads, we think we are all of it and our bodies just like this, this thing of meat that's we're dragging behind like that, 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 yeah. <laughs> but what you're saying is like the way we store memories, it's half in our head, half us and half our body. And like, you have to give your body equal rights to process memories and understand, yeah. right? Yeah. That and that's exactly it. And I would, I don't have actual data to back this up, but from experience, I don't think it's actually split half and half. I think there's far more in the body than <gasps> we actually believe. Oh my goodness. So it's even more the other way. So yes. we're just not giving our bodies we take them for granted and we don't give them the attention that they really deserve. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then of course that this would come up in pregnancy and birth because you're, you're creating somebody else's body. Yeah. Right. And, and so, the whole experience is so visceral. It's a completely body-based experience. The whole thing, every single day, something's changing true. in your body. It's a body thing, not in a head thing. So if you're used to living mm-hmm. only in your head and all of a sudden your body takes the reins, that's Art. really uncomfortable. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, no wonder. And then you have this fight with your body about who's in control and then you feel crazy making in your head. Exactly. Wow. I feel hurt. I feel so good. Oh, good. (laughs) I mean, right? I mean, it just explains so many of the things. So what are some of the most common things that women say to you that let you know that, you know, that you can help them, that, that they, that you understand what they're going through? Um, I think the women that come to me, uh, most of them have experienced at least one loss uh, in in some form, either early loss, um, biochemical miscarriage, second trimester loss, stillbirth, something like that. And um, many of them have experienced preterm birth as well. And so what they come to me with is, uh, I've tried everything. I don't feel better. I really want another baby. And I'm terrified mm-hmm. of being pregnant again, but I know I'm not done. What do I do? Oh, yep. Okay. That's yeah. pretty much everybody who's had a second or third baby. <laughs> well, okay. But really quick, I want to ask a side question. So um, if sometimes women will like have a miscarriage or loss and it doesn't affect them like some other miscarriage and loss. And it doesn't seem to follow a pattern. Like if you're 14 weeks or more than it hurts you, right. if you're, then you're if 11 weeks, sometimes an eight, a seven week loss is just 
over just unbelievably painful, but a 14 week loss isn't even in the same woman. So Mm -hmm. what do you say to that? How do, what does that mean? Well, the way that, I mean, what we talk about when we say trauma is, you know, what is traumatic is not based on the event. It is on how it was encoded in your body. And if it was encoded as an unsafe experience that you could not follow up with, with safety, that's what becomes trauma. And that makes there's, a lot of sense. Yeah. And so that's why it, we can't say across, exactly what you're saying. We can't say across the board, all miscarriages are traumatic. All ectopic pregnancies are traumatic. We can't say that because it doesn't encode the same way. We can say most of the time, you know, sure, certainly I'd believe that, but I don't think we can even put a number on it because yeah. so much of it is that subjective embodied experience of did I feel unsafe at the time? And was I able to find safety after? And yeah. if the answer is yes, it's not going to encode as trauma. It's going to be a horrible experience and a terrible memory. And there is going to be a lot to process from that. Certainly a tremendous amount of grief to work through, sure. But that's very different than being frozen in that state of unsafety, unsafety. where many, many of us, I don't know if that's actually a word, but that's the word that we're just now. <laughs> Dis-safetiness. <laughs> um, we'll go with it. Okay. So, so that's why if somebody else has a loss that you don't want to say things like, well, it was a blighted ovum. At least it wasn't a real baby or a exactly. topic pregnancy. At least you could get pregnant still. Like you don't want to say stuff like that because you don't know how it encoded in their body. And no at idea. the same time, you don't even really sometimes understand how those things encoded in your body. Totally. I had a, I had a blighted ovum at, at, um, my first pregnancy was a miscarriage. And I remember thinking, what's all the hoopla, but I never said anything to anyone because I was actually grateful not to be pregnant. It was like a relief. I didn't want to be pregnant when I found out. So, Mm -hmm. so, but, but early on, I never said any of those dumb things because early on I thought my experience must be abnormal because I was glad when I miscarried. Mm-hmm. Sure. But then sure. later I had another miscarriage that was not so happy. And I was like, oh, that's what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally oh. different experiences, even in the same body. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And the safety thing, the first one, I was, I was completely fine, mm-hmm. completely supported. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So when you say um, pregnancy is high risk, are you talking just like blood pressure, you know, diabetes, or are there other factors that make a pregnancy high risk? Yeah, there, high risk is a huge umbrella um, under which there's a lot of different types of pregnancy. And like, so, if you name yourself high risk, are you just like owning your brokenness or like? Right. No, that's absolutely true. It's, um, you know, some people are relieved to have that label to yeah. go, okay, then at least now somebody acknowledges there's something that needs extra attention. Yes. And for others, it can be a turnoff to go, I don't want that label. That's not what I am. That's not who I am. That's not what this is. So high risk just means you are at added risk of developing complications for you or for baby. That can be due to age in the U.S., the cutoff is 35, over which you're automatically considered high risk. If you're carrying twins, if you're carrying multiple um, higher order uh, multiples, uh, if you have a history of certain health complications like heart disease, kidney disease, cancer, asthma, things like that. If you have a history of preterm delivery, pregnancy complications, recurrent pregnancy loss, something like that, or if everything's going perfectly smoothly, lovely, wonderful, and then you develop a complication or baby develops a complication, then you receive that, that, um, label. And it does not mean anything about the outcome of the pregnancy. It just means you are going to need more eyes on the pregnancy. That might mean more doctor's appointments, more tests, more uh, blood work, more um, information, maybe possible uh, diagnoses, maybe bigger decisions might have to be made. There might be certain options that are no longer available to you with regards to the pregnancy or labor or delivery, but it doesn't say anything about a guarantee like this is for sure going to happen because you have this label. So it's a very wide umbrella under which Mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of fall. all it, it just it's means kind is, of a scary term, and so sometimes is, yeah. just being labeled that can send you into kind of a um, a, a trauma, right? A type of it, trauma. It can. It can. It can certainly trigger that survival mode of what does this mean? Oh my gosh, what do I do? And that's why it's so important that you've got your eyes on two things. One is, do you have a medical team that you trust who trusts you completely? 
And two, uh, what are you doing to address your nervous system to keep that flexibility in it so it doesn't get frozen in that state of trauma? And with those two things, it is absolutely possible to navigate through even a high-risk pregnancy uh, without that fear overcoming all aspects of your experience. And that would be the goal is to not – so So if you say trauma is when your body – I like simplifying things even when they're not simple. Um, it's basically when your body encodes an event as unsafe that you are not able to return to safety or you mm -hmm. feel like out of control, which is a safety thing, right? So mm -hmm. as long as you can maintain your body and your mind in a feeling of I am safe, my provider's got me, my partner's got me, I am safe or I can return to safety or I will be okay, I will be safe, then high risk doesn't need to be a traumatic experience. Right, exactly. And the key there is you can't tell yourself that I am safe and actually believe it. Right, okay, You have yep. to feel the safety. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Right? <laughs> Put all the affirmations on the wall you want, but it right. doesn't necessarily work. It won't, it won't matter. Um, and so if you can embody that experience of safety, and you know, the example that I give is think of safety. One piece of safety can be when you're running, being chased by a bear and you find a cave to hide in, you're safe for the moment, right? Versus you are no longer being chased by the bear and you're at home under the covers. It's a very different kind of safety. We want to get you to that second kind of safety as often as possible throughout your pregnancy so that when you have the round ligament pain, when you have a full bladder, whenever you have to go to the bathroom, when you have the uh, contractions starting at late second trimester, it doesn't send you back into that yeah. frozen state of fear. So I can think of an example. I had a friend who was diagnosed, her son was diagnosed in vitro with um, a heart defect and mm -hmm. they made her wake like three weeks before a fetal echocardiogram cardiogram. And then it turned out nothing was wrong. And she was so broken. Like her head space was completely broken. And so that was, she was hiding in a den or she was hiding in a cave. She was not in a place of safety. She was, she was left to seep in that unsafety for three weeks yeah. and it like changed her thought patterns. Right. Yes. But it did. maybe had she had a very compassionate, understanding provider, he could have said, well, we don't know. This isn't conclusive. Please don't stress about it for three weeks. Don't let yourself stress about it. We will have answers. Don't you worry. And if you worry, call me and we'll talk about it. Then that would be an example of taking her home and tucking her in bed, right? That would be one part of it. That would be part of the journey, right? There's having a provider who can provide that sense of safety inside that relationship where you feel safe with them. You know that they understand you. They, you know that they're not um, trying to make you feel scared, but are trying to be comforting to you. That's absolutely tremendously important. And also you can imagine in that scenario that even if your doctor is telling you, we will figure this out. I'm here for you. Call me if anything happens that woman is still going to leave that doctor's office and she's going to be Googling before she gets to the elevator going, but what does that actually mean? Yeah. What's actually going on? And so what we want to do is, again, get her out of her head. Those thoughts, by the time you have those scary thoughts, your body has already shifted. So we need to get you out of your head into your body and bring you all the way down physiologically. And that combined with supportive care is being tucked in the blanket at home. That's what we want for you as often as possible during your pregnancy. Because when you're not in that state, it does increase the risk of pregnancy complications. And so it all kind of feeds right into each yeah, other. Yeah, it feeds into a big ball. So because the body, because pregnancy is such a visceral body, 100% body experience pretty much, you're along for the ride, <laughs> um, then does that provide actually an opportunity for quicker healing, faster healing? Like can you, if you've never been in your body before, then is it easier to make these habits of mindfulness while you're pregnant? You know, I have found that to be the case, that a lot of my clients have spent years doing this work in their heads. And there's only, it's not that it's, useless, right? There is some progress that has been made, but not enough for them to feel like, okay, I feel better about whatever it is that they've been through. And when we do this from a body-based perspective, there's it's almost like turbocharged work in a very slow way. It's, it's so bizarre to describe. Because your body moves super slow. Right. And it's, it's so interesting because the work we have to do very, very slowly, because if we do it too fast, we're just going to re-trigger you and run the risk of re-traumatization. But we do the work slowly, but in doing it so slowly, the results are much, much, much bigger, especially as you are experiencing this very visceral 
uh, life stage of being pregnant too. And the outcome is once you've shifted that body and you've experienced it differently, it stays with you even after baby is born, even if baby's preterm, even if you needed an emergency C-section. Again, the events don't actually matter. It is, can you feel safe in your body no matter what is going to happen? And those effects are long lasting, which has been really cool to see. Yeah. Long lasting, like as you transition, transition into motherhood, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that fourth trimester when you have a newborn and, yes. then, and then baby and toddlerhood and then teenagers. Yes. I mean, I need these skills. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so many feels with teenagers. <laughs> um, okay. So backing up a little bit, talk about um, like the effect of trauma and these somatic markers. How do they affect fertility? Yeah. So there is uh, research that shows when the nervous system changes and you're in that, that uh, fight, flight, freeze mode, either for chronic stress or you're frozen there for traumatic stress, it has a cascading effect on your endocrine system and your immune system. This is true whether you're pregnant or you're not. And when you're not yet pregnant, you're trying to conceive, what you can imagine happens is because of those shifts to the endocrine system, your hormones become imbalanced, in which way it really depends on your body and what kind of what's going on for you and your genetics and a whole host of things that make you you. And because it impacts the immune system, you can see inflammation rises. Both of those things are essential to be in kind of the right balance in order to be able to conceive uh, and and this is true even if you know you need fertility treatment. Like I knew I would need fertility treatment, right? So I'm not saying it's going to cure all the things. It is, but you can imagine if you're able to restore some of that balance back, then the amount of fertility treatments, the kind of fertility treatments, your uh, protocol could change because your body is in a completely different place. So it's not that all hope is lost. It's certainly not this naive feeling of this is the cure-all, but it does play a role in your ability to conceive, certainly. That makes a lot of sense. So these stories of just relax and you'll get pregnant. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong, but they're just kind of offensive when you say that to somebody because yes. essentially, essentially they, the, the, the crux is, it, is when you are more relaxed, you're more likely to conceive or you know, it, it'd be easier, but that doesn't help you. Just like you said before, telling you to stop being afraid doesn't make you afraid, not afraid. Exactly. In fact, it usually has the opposite effect. When did somebody get relaxed when you told them to relax? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, and this is why I really discourage using that word or even that phrase yep. um, if you're supporting somebody who is trying to conceive or is pregnant uh, because it's not just about relaxing because when you say that, it implies change your thoughts. Yes. And that's exactly the opposite of what we're talking about. Oh, you can't do that. mind blown. Yes. Okay. So, so what, are, what are the things that you could do in the preconception phase to be more mindful. Cause I, I don't know, like, again, I'm super enlightened and I only had my kids 16 years ago, the oldest, but I still feel like I didn't even understand I was pregnant until the baby came out. Like I didn't have sure. this experience. <laughs> I would have loved to have known earlier so that I could connect with my body and enjoy. And I guess my fourth pregnancy was better, <laughs> but I still didn't, I never, I didn't have the opportunity to have tools to really connect with my body. So so level kindergarten, how would you take somebody who's never had the opportunity, like you said earlier, never been given the words to describe the feelings, how would you tell her in the preconception phase what she can do? Mind- See, I don't even have the words to ask you the question. It's just fix it. Yeah. <laughs> Read my mind. <laughs> I mean, where do you start? Like, again, you, you can't just talk to me and, and, and just, you can't just tell somebody to relax. You can't just tell somebody to just fix it. So what are some of the like, baby activities, kindergarten steps that you can do like preconception that will help you connect with your body in ways that you haven't before. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think it starts with doing just that. Start with wherever you are. Um, And I think you bring up a really good point is we'd like to believe that we're farther than we are. And maybe we like to believe, you know, oh no, I've got this. I'm totally in touch with my body. And I'll tell you, even my most um, quote unquote advanced clients who feel like they're really, really good with their bodies. There's always a part of their body. Usually it's around the pelvic area, the hip region or the abdomen that they cannot feel. It's not that it's numb. It's just, they cannot feel it because that's where the trauma happened. Oh and, my gosh. How much and, time do we have today? <laughs> <laughs> and what about epigenetic trauma and pain surrounding that area? 
Right? Yeah, I know. It's a whole thing we could go into. And so I would say, start with where you are, not where you want to be or not where you think you are, but where are you? And oftentimes that's, that can be with your hands. Can I feel the things that I am touching? Can I smell the things that I'm trying to smell? And there's a distinction between I think I can smell the rose versus I can actually smell that smell. Mm -hmm. And one sense where that comes up a lot is in taste, that when I start having my clients do this, they recognize, holy cow, I actually haven't been tasting my food for years. I thought I was tasting my food Mm because I know what, you know, potatoes taste like, but now that I'm actually paying attention to it, I can't taste them. And so start there and really start to reacquaint yourself Mm -hmm. with your body, which can be hard to do because part of, I think the whole infertility experience is you can feel uh, broken. You can feel like there's something wrong with you and you kind of want to disconnect because you're mad at your body for not doing the thing that it needs to be doing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I totally get. I completely get that as a and then you're at a war, and it, it's great to be at war with yourself. I mean, that's yeah, just really convenient, super productive. <laughs> I remember one time somebody's like, "Well, I I do I do this whole self care regimen, and I just feel so beautiful afterwards." And I'm like, "What?" So I went home and I was like, "I'm gonna put lotion on," and I put lotion on, and I like you're saying feeling like this is the first time I'd ever like felt yeah. my legs. Yeah, yeah. Yes. my arms and I put yes. lotion on and I was like, well, this is kind of an experience. <laughs> I was kind of afraid to repeat it because it just felt so feely. And yes, exactly. <laughs> but that's what you're talking about. Like I just had never really felt my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So then um, how then does trauma affect pregnancy outcomes? So we're talking about, we just talked about before fertility. So how about afterwards? Yep. So um like I mentioned, so that when we're talking about trauma, it is a nervous system that is frozen in that survival mode, that same mode that you're, that you're in when a bear is chasing you, uh, you're frozen there. And so you experience your whole world, every moment of every day, as if that bear is chasing you. When your nervous system is frozen there, you still have an impact to your endocrine system and your immune system. And so we see a higher incidence of miscarriage because again, higher level of inflammation and um, hormone levels that are out imbalanced for what you need to sustain a pregnancy. That can be one way that it shows up. Now, it's not the only cause of miscarriage by any means, but it can play a role, especially if you are um, you have a history of of trauma. It's something to absolutely look into. It also sets you up to ha- have increased risk of other pregnancy complications, hypertensive disorders, gestational, gestational diabetes, um, preterm contractions, PPROM, so preterm premature rupture of membranes, intrauterine infection, all of these things and many more that I go into in my book are at risk, are at elevated risk because of the changes that are happening to your immune system and your endocrine system with a nervous system that is frozen in that mode. And mm-hmm. this is why this work is so essential. It's important to do before to reduce that risk before you conceive. And then you have to continue doing that work because of the body memories we talked about to maintain that level of safety in your body while you are pregnant, which is not just an emotional experience, but it is a physiological experience that is reducing your risk of complications along with whatever other medical treatment you're receiving so that you can go into labor and delivery and have a smoother experience whenever baby is born. Wow. Okay. And so in other words, doing these exercises before pregnancy, during pregnancy can help your postpartum period um, Hugely. go more smoothly. Yes. Yes, Because I mean, if you, if you didn't feel it while you're pregnant, you feel it postpartum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it can even come up during labor, which is the last point when you want to experience this because you need to feel safe in your body. And that is when labor progresses smoothly, right? So you want to um, do mm. this work ahead of time. It translates to a smoother labor. Um, it translates to a smoother delivery process. And then it translates to so many wonderful things after baby is born, um, including supporting lactation and uh, supporting attachment and bonding in just so many different ways and healing from the actual delivery is takes less time, whether it's a C-section or a vaginal delivery, uh, the, the actual recovery time is also 
less in, among so yeah, many other that makes uh, a lot so of many sense. things. I have a, a favorite midwife who always tells her clients when they're like, I'm going to die. She goes, mm-hmm. no, it's not going to kill you because it is you. And the first, I don't know, 50 times I heard her say it, I'm like, that is so irritating. But what she's basically <laughs> saying is that you – that that they're not feeling safe in their body, which is why they feel like they're going to die exactly. or why they're going to explode exactly. because they're not feeling safe in their body. And she's yes. just trying to tell them, go back in your body. This is just your body. It's You're not going to die because yeah. it's just you. Yeah. <laughs> so now I, now, I, now I see why she said that. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it would calm the people down. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then um, what's the difference between postpartum anxiety and depression and unresolved trauma? Yeah. That's, I love that you asked this because I've got quite quite a thing to say about this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Ready, set, I'll, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put it simply first and then we can dive in wherever you'd like. Uh, if there is a history of trauma sometime on the family building journey, the symptoms of symptoms, I'll use in quotes, the the red flags that are telling you this is either anxiety or this is depression are likely under the umbrella of trauma and they're not a separate issue. Okay, if say it again in a different color. So if there's a history of trauma, any kind of anxiety or depression is not a separate issue. It is just a manifestation of the unresolved so trauma. So it's not like you caught a cold. It's not like you caught anxiety. Right. It's you're exhibiting it's not anxiety a and depression symptoms because it falls under the umbrella of that unresolved trauma. Right. It's okay. it's just another way for that trauma that's showing up to, to get your attention or another way through your body that it's coming out uh, because of a nervous system that is frozen in that state. And this it is- shows up in this way. And then it is unfortunately oftentimes misdiagnosed yeah, there you as go. postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression. And then it is attempted to be treated as if it's a separate issue. And very rarely does it actually work. And it leaves women feeling really discouraged. Because you just, you just got an acute alarm bell from trauma right. going off instead of a chronic chemical imbalance that would be chronic anxiety or depression, right? And is that why you'd say that postpartum mood disorders are so so it's got a great outcome with, with treatment versus chronic depression, not as good of an outcome. Is it, am I on the right train of thought? Well, I think, I think it's more of, uh, the separation instead of acute and and chronic, it's the separation of trauma or not trauma. And I think what's happening is we are, because we don't look at this traditionally from a trauma informed lens, we miss the large percentage of people who have these experiences that show up, but they actually are under the umbrella of trauma as opposed to the smaller percentage of people where this is a new occurrence that is not tied to a trauma and there's some organic issue underneath that's happening that has resulted in these symptoms that they've recognized. I think if we looked at it from a trauma-informed lens, we mm. would see, oh my gosh, this is why the incidence of postpartum mood disorders is so high. And this is why actually the um, the treatment success rates are not as high as we would like to see, given how many women, it's more women do need support. Absolutely. But even those who receive it, not a high enough percentage are receiving the support that they need to actually feel relief. And this is why, because we're looking at it as an acute issue, as opposed to let's look at it from a trauma informed lens, which tells us an entirely different story. Wow. Okay. But I feel like a trauma, trauma, see, I don't remember what said trauma, lens. It's almost like a little kaleidoscope thing, like you looking through it, but it's not what the general um, population, how we see things. So exactly. it's almost like it's you're a speaking problem. a different language. Yeah. Yes. You're, you're coming from a completely different island. <laughs> yep. Yep, or is that, exactly. that, what is that Chinese, Chinese parable where, where one, one blind man's at the front of the elephant and one blind man's at the back or something? I remember, but it's that, it's that kind of thing. Like you're looking at it from a completely different yep. angle. So then- would you say that, okay, I don't even go into normal postpartum and anxiety, but would you say that that's often trauma-based then, falls under a trauma umbrella as well that we're misdiagnosing? I think for the most part, um, most women are likely experiencing a trauma reaction. Mm. I don't have an exact number. I don't have a, a specific number I can give you. But I think if we, if we were to, it's almost like we take a cross section and we go, oh yeah, no, of course this is anxiety. Or we take the whole picture and we go, 
oh, well, this happened and then this happened and then this is where you got, you were encoding this as unsafe. Well, no wonder this is what's happening. And I think there's a much larger yeah. percentage of women than we realize is yeah, I think, that's their reality. Well, now that you say it like that, it sounds almost as ridiculous as saying, you know, if you get hives or if you get, if you get diarrhea from eating gluten, you're gluten intolerant and somebody comes along and says, well, you must have been out in the sun too much. That must have what caused your diarrhea. And it like seems oh. ridiculous to say it from that, but that's how medical in history, if you were sick, they bled you, right? If they were, if whatever, they mm -hmm. would do these crazy medical treatments. And in a way we're still, we're still leeching <laughs> mental health wise. We're still like making these weird assumptions. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And one of the ways that I um, can kind of the, the, flags that I look for too is it's not just an emotional experience, right? We keep coming back to this. There's a body experience here too. And oftentimes the women who are diagnosed with postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression and the treatment's not working, uh, where my guess is it's likely a trauma response also have new health complications that have popped yes, up. Yes, yes, yes. Bring on the whole six weeks right? postpartum thing and the bleeding nipples and all the, the crazy things. Yeah, the hormones. Right. So... And there's often then the, in addition to that emotional experience, there's often tied to it another health issue or multiple health issues that have come up. So for example, the NICU moms that I work with very high rate of new autoimmune diseases that have come up post really increased chronic pain increased chronic illness a brand new type of chronic illness uh something like that if that's happening and you have this new diagnosis of postpartum anxiety or depression my recommendation is step back and look at it from a trauma-informed lens could that be what's going on because the, the kind of the the commonality, the common factor between the two is a nervous system that's dysregulated. Okay. So if you have a, if you have the personal wherewithal to step back and look at this, right. that's great. But if you are partners with somebody who does not yep. have the wherewithal to see this, what are some of the signs? What are some of the things you could do for your loved one to help guide them out of this place? Yeah. Uh, I think it's important to know that it doesn't have to fall on you entirely as the partner. Mm. So bring in the troops. They can be, you but know, warn them. If you judge, I will totally. <laughs> hunt you down and kill you. Right. Cause I mean, exactly. how many times have we asked for help and then we're like, Oh, well they just, just judged me when they helped me or, you know, yeah. it comes back to haunt you later. Yeah. Totally. So be super selective about that. And that's some prep that you can do and ideally can be done and should be done during pregnancy. Yeah. Who are those people that I know I can text in the middle of the night and go, I'm losing it. I can't do this. Send breakfast. Um, you know, and you know, it'll just show <laughs> wait, up on wait. the door. And <laughs> My youngest is 10. Can I still do that? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> No, I know with my husband, sometimes I'm like, I won't do it very often, but if I tell you you have to leave work and come home, you really have to leave work and come home. He's yes. like, are we, are we past that phase? And I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> I just need to know that you're there. Yeah. But this could be anyone. This doesn't have to be even the person that you think it should be. This yep. doesn't have to be yep. your partner. This could yep. be like some friend or even an acquaintance that you just feel safe with, that you can just say, look, yep. I just need to know you have my back, right? Even just knowing they have your back. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So if you see somebody struggling too, and they haven't asked for help, what are some of the things you could do to just help, help return them to the place of safety and not fix it because you're not in charge of fixing people, but just exactly. how do you just help them, help them um, find their way back to their cuddly bedroom? You know, what I find really helpful is um, one is asking open-ended questions. So not, are you okay? That's implying that I need you to be okay. And it makes oh, it really hard ouch. for her to say no. Oh my gosh, I'm having a reaction to that. <laughs> Just a minute, I'm processing something. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Okay, sorry, I'm done now. Okay, what were you going to say instead? <laughs> so open-ended questions. Uh, how are you? How are you today? How are you this morning? Um, how are you feeling? You know, mm -hmm. how did you how sleep last night? How do your nipples night? feel? Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> right? So open-ended questions like that, that's not to say that it's going to be easy for them to answer either, because that can be overwhelming for them too, but to know that there is so, an invitation. Yeah. So right? that if they don't answer, you can go ahead and, and, and pray through with your own stories, right? 
Exactly. And that was going to be the, well, that was going to be the second thing I was going to share is if you have a read on what might be going on. So say your friend looks really exhausted because baby's just not sleeping. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've had a child. So you know what that's like. Yep. You can probably imagine what this must be like. You can offer that. Hey, I imagine this, you must be exhausted. She's four months old. They're just barely starting to figure things out. Uh, I remember I was exhausted. How can I help? Say, actually, I don't remember the, the first year because I was so tired. <laughs> so you must be really tired because I don't remember any of it. <laughs> exactly. And it normalizes the conversation yeah. then that it doesn't have to be roses and butterflies and puppies. It is freaking hard. And I see mm-hmm. you and I'm okay with you telling me that it sucks sometimes. Yeah. And I can be there and I can hold that for you. I know I had a friend tell me something um, recently that kind of took my breath away. And I was like, oh, I didn't know we were on that level. I didn't know you were ready to be that vulnerable with me. And I, yeah. I took away from that conversation. I was like, wow, wow. I think that she told me more for her than for me. For me. She was obviously not telling it for me, but I was like, how cool is it that she felt like she could say what she did, even though I wasn't ready to hear it. Like her admission was, you know, wow. But I think she, I applaud her for having the ability to just voice it, even though it wasn't going to come out graceful and it wasn't going (laughs) to sound awesome. Mother of the year award, but she (laughs) did it. And I'm like, go you, because you recognize that something's amiss instead of just trying to cover it up and say, Oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And you may not reciprocate with that person, but that might be the invitation you need to go, hey, I don't need to talk to that person and tell them actually how I'm really doing. It's so true. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. (laughs) I'm like now spinning out thinking of all of the things that, that we keep covered because we don't, we don't, we fear we fear the judgment of the reaction. And here she was, just didn't even fear it. She just said it how it was. Yeah. Imagine what a different world it would be if we could just do that mm-hmm. the first year of motherhood or more, mm-hmm. but you know, yep. to yep. know that we can say what we need to say, what our real reality is and know and trust that the other person can hold that with no judgment, with no attempt to try to minimize it or to turn it into something that's more palatable yeah, imagine what a different compatible. So then back to this, I mean, she said a couple of things that were just kind of breathtaking. How do I know? Like part of me thinks part of me, okay, here's the body thing. Part of me feels like she's probably okay. The fact that she can say these things and she's moving through them, she's probably okay. But how do I know if I'm right? Or what if this is a, a cry for help that she's masking with a little bit of sarcasm? Sure. Totally. You know, my feeling is I don't think it's on us to figure that out. I think we ask. If you're concerned, if you have the question, I would ask. That's a great point. And whether she tells you the truth or not, that's completely her decision. But you have then extended the invitation to say, I'm here if you end up telling me, no, I'm actually not okay. And this is my cry for help. And that just asking is opening that door for her whenever, if ever she wants to walk through it. That's amazing. Okay. So tell me more about, I love, I love, I feel like you've approached the postpartum, the trauma thing differently than any of my other past guests, which is so neat to have this different flavor. So what would you recommend for listeners to find more, not only just about you, but to find more about this whole new way of thinking through the trauma informed lens and kind of looking at themselves with more grace and mindfulness, where would, where would they look? Yeah. So I have a lot of resources on my website. Um, the, my book pregnancy brain does, it doesn't talk about trauma specifically, but it's stress physiology in general. And that's a great place to look for how it's impacting pregnancy. And, um, if you're done growing your family, I have a webinar that I dive deep into the physiology of this for post baby post family building, um, which is a great place to start to just learn more about What's going on in my body? What is what have I been missing so far that suddenly now, oh my gosh, this makes sense. So I would start with one of those two, and both of those are linked through my website. Perfect. Um, yes. Go ahead yeah. and spell that out. It's it's yeah, my website is my full name. So it's P-A-R-I-J-A-T-D-E-S-H-P-A-N-D-E dot com. 
And again, we'll have that linked below. And do you have courses or your books on Amazon? Book is on Amazon. You can get it as paperback or Kindle. It's also on Barnes and Noble. You can order it from your library or independent bookstore as well. Wow. And um, I have a post baby, I'm done growing my family um, program for trauma healing. Uh, but my main work is with pregnant women. So that is kind of where most of my time and energy goes is working with women to help them reduce their risk of pregnancy complications and preterm delivery. Wow. Reduce the risk by clearing trauma. I have one more question I'm going to sneak in. So if you went through all this trauma and your kids are a little older, is there, is there like rebonding you can do? Is there healing that can be done retroactively if you're now stepping into this, you know, a lot of mamas are watching their girls have babies now and realizing mm-hmm. they have been carrying birth traumas from now their adult daughters. Yes. So yes. how, like, so is there hope for that? There's so much hope for that. It's never too late. It's never too late. I, the thing with our bodies is they're always trying to heal always. Oh, and all they yeah. need, like we were just talking about is the open door. And our, the way to offer that open door is to get out of your head and into your body and do the body-based work. And so my Healing Hearts program, which is for women who are done growing their family, we've got women in there who have kids who are you know, anywhere along the spectrum because they're realizing, oh my gosh, I'm still holding on to this. Absolutely. So yeah. it is never too late. Great. Okay. And what's the name of that book again? Sorry. I'm- that program is called Healing Hearts. It, does it have a website too? Uh, no, it's just on my website. You can find okay. it directly there. All the yes. things. Okay. I'm going to start linking everything when we publish this podcast. So awesome. Excellent. Wow. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to make sure we understand? <laughs> I, I think the only other thing I would say is just tied to what you kind of wrap this up with is that there is hope. Uh, whether you're done growing your family and you want to join us in Healing Hearts, or you are trying to conceive now after a really complicated journey so far, and you want to reduce your risk of complications in preterm birth, which I do through the Path to Baby program. But wherever you are on this journey, there is hope. It is not a one and done deal where, well, that happened and now this is my life forever. It's just not like that. The human body is so resilient and it is so receptive to when we nourish our body and we talk about eat well, drink well, sleep well. And also when we can support our nervous system, we can restore a tremendous amount of health that can impact your future pregnancies in a really powerful, positive way and can impact your long-term health too, so that you can be you know, really healthy as you are raising the children that you have fought so yeah. hard to bring into this world. So and it's, grandbabies it's, too, and right? Grandchildren too, exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of hope. And I really hope that all of your listeners that are listening to this, take that away, that it's, it's not over. And there's so much more that we can be doing. Um, and you deserve to, to have that support. Wow. Thank you so much. And if any listener wants to reach out to me and have me connect you directly with her, you can re- always reach me at media We'll link all of her re- resources in the podcast. Thank you again. Oh gosh, Thank mind blown. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.